Hello and welcome to Grubbing in the Filth with me, Tom Sharp. There's a grand tradition of anthropomorphising animals, treating them as if they were human and trying to derive lessons from them. We use animals to represent certain ideas in our stories, the mischief and cunning of Renadine the Fox, the warm but serious Mr Badger. And this desire for metaphor and for symbolism cross-pollinates with our actual understanding of the animal world. There are pros and cons to this, but generally speaking, we do animals a disservice by trying to make them make sense in a way that is pleasing to us. In this episode, I'm joined by Graham Duke and Ali Hood from Rex Factor. Rex Factor is a podcast that looks at the history of the British monarchical lines, evaluating the monarchs and consorts against a number of criteria, whilst giving a full and fascinating overview of royal lives and, inevitably, the era within which they lived. I think the notion of monarchy is repellent, but I love Rex Factor, and I was thrilled to speak to the boys. But why involve history buffs in an invertebrate podcast? Well, this episode will follow the format of a Rex Factor episode. Given that throughout history, people have wanted to make bee society into a reflection of our own, let's see how well that reflection holds up. In the episode, I'll be teaching Graham and Ali about the Queen Bee, and we're going to see how she holds up against the Henry VIII's New Victorious. The format is explained as we go, and whether or not you're familiar with the format, I think it's a fabulous episode which you'll really enjoy even if the theme tune in a few moments might be baffling. I'll also be looking at some old natural history texts and beekeeping texts, examining the errors and misrepresentations made in giving an account of bee society throughout previous centuries. Without further ado, let's begin. Welcome to Bee Factor. So I'm joined today by Graham Duke and Ali Hood from Rex Factor. How are you both today? Ten out of ten. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, doing good, thanks. Good, I'm very glad to hear it. Well, as um hosts for historical and monarch centric podcast, you would you would not see necessarily as natural I don't use the word bed. bedfellows makes it sound creepy early doors, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't necessarily seem like the natural people to come onto a invertebrate podcast. Um, for those unfortunate enough not to be Rex Factor devotees who aren't familiar with your work, would you be okay to explain just quickly what is Rex Factor? Yeah, so uh, what we do is we rate all the sort of kings and queens of uh, England, uh, Scotland, and then we're currently doing. Uh, the Queen and Prince Consorts of England. So we do a run through their life story, their biography, and then we rank them, uh, or rather we give them a score on a certain number of factors that we've uh, picked out as being crucial for uh, a notable monarch or consort. So battliness, scandal, subjectivity, which is whether you'd want to be a subject, longevity, how long they ruled for, dynasty, how many legitimate surviving children they had, and then finally, whether or not they have that certain something, the star quality that we call uh, the Rex Factor. And uh, each series, we give them all a score, and then the ones with the Rex Factor at the end, we sort of play them off against each other and decide who is the ultimate series champion. Perfect. Well, it's, it's been quite distressing for me because you've done, you know, it, it's a wonderful podcast, and you've discussed the the kings and queens of England, you've discussed the kings and queens of Scotland, all these additional episodes, the consort series, and all the way through, we're giving these ratings and we're digging deep on these historical figures. But you've never once um, given much time to the the monarchs of the insect world. So you've never spoken about the Queen Ant, you've never talked about the Queen Bee. Could you explain yourselves, please? 
Yeah, I mean, there's obviously controversies, you know, like we didn't do uh, The Empress Matilda, Lady Jane Grey. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we, we, we maybe don't quite do enough due diligence in uh, picking out all of the potential potential monarchs we could be studying. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm throwing you straight under the bus there, Graham, because uh, nothing to do with me, Gov. Every, I mean, to be fair to Ali, you know, every week when we're recording, he said, are we doing the ants this week? I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but, well... Today is the day, well, today's not the day, but today is a similar day because what I want to do today is take the Queen Bee, who is this important figure for a number of reasons in terms of ecology, in terms of economy, and in terms of just being an interesting figure, and treat the Queen Bee with, with the Rex Factor treatment and apply those criteria to the life of the Queen Bee. There's this sense that in studying animals, one has to be careful in terms of anthropomorphizing them and making them seem human because they're not human. And we are sort of going to do that today, but we're joining a, a long tradition of people trying to draw parallels between human society and human monarchy and the monarchy of, of bees. What I want to do is just go through the, the life of the queen bee, compare her with your criteria, and also look at some of the ways that people throughout history have discussed queen bees and maybe some of the ways that bees and the world of honeybees, honeybees specifically, I should say, have collided with the, with the specifically the English monarchs. Um, and the notion of monarchy, I suppose. Yeah, well, I was just going to ask that. If you say the honeybee, is it? So there's a queen bee in each species, is there? Well, most bee species are solitary. So you do have the social bees, which the bumblebees and the honeybees, and the stingless bees, I think. But the the honeybee, mm. Apis mellifera, is the, the one that's producing honey, and it's the one of economic worth to, to people, and it's the one that we see in hives. So yeah, the oh, majority okay. of bees don't really knock about in a way that could be that would make them interesting to people trying to kind of draw that monarchical contrast ah uh, yeah they're lone rangers they're the um <laughs> who's the scarlet pimpernels of the insect world is that Precisely. a good reference i don't know who that is I, don't think. <laughs> I think it is i mean they're not actively trying to overthrow the rest of the bees but they are <laughs> they're certainly they do you know they stick people up for money there's at least that honey sorry i should say there is <laughs> that, um, <laughs> Writing about nature and, and natural history for a long time was rooted in these sort of ancient texts by Aristotle and, and people like that, who whose writing was kind of taken as gospel. And it's very interesting, but it's not necessarily the most scientifically rigorous stuff of all time. And, and this kind of, this ancient writing, and therefore this more modern writing, was more concerned in finding, finding reflected in the animal kingdom, divinely ordained order and that reflection of kind of the way the world should be seen and the way that the humans should behave in the animal kingdom and we even even that phrase kingdom we still sort of think of yeah. elephants and lions and things they're, they're top dog and then things fleas and lice and that kind of business they are nefarious and they are at the bottom of this pecking order so we still do kind of understand animals in that quite metaphorical sense yeah and within that metaphorical understanding of animals the honeybee which is a social insect, and it's an insect we have a close relationship with, has become understood as a reflection of human society, and it's become a an indicator of human hierarchy as ordained by God, right? And in the honeybee society, there is a monarch, and there is subservience, and there is industriousness, and in that sense, all is as it should be. So I'm going to read you very quickly a little quote from The History of Serpents by Edward Topsell, which was from the start of the 1500s. He wrote this, he wrote, The Almighty hath created all things for the use and service of man. He made bees not only that they should be unto us patterns and precedents 
of political and economic virtues, but even teachers and schoolmasters instructing us in certain divine knowledge. Would you agree? Graham? Uh, well, I mean, Ali, I feel like you're the, you're the expert on the theological matters. Mm. Um, honey's nice, isn't it? Often? Well, often, I would say always. I was going to ask you, do you have any kind of skin in the game when it comes to bees? How do you both feel about honeybees? I reckon, Graham, you're a bit weird about honey. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no. In fact, I, I had honey on my toast uh, this very morning for my breakfast. Well, I mean, all of a sudden, that's perfectly normal. But <laughs> I, I think everyone knows what I mean. I mean, you, Ali, seem like the kind of person who'd be, of the two of us, you're the one who'd be more likely to actually have bees. <laughs> this Now, this is something that I am going to uh, crush all the joy out of you here, Tom, for... Um, uh, pummeling you for information about bees because i yeah okay. that is right up my street <laughs> beekeeping yeah oh my goodness yeah i can i imagine i can hear becca's sighs from here <laughs> you've caught the buzz well i think that it's if if you're by the way that kind of thing very much encouraged so if you want to okay good you know beekeeping is is a there's a great tradition of it in the british i think i might have this wrong but I think there's some evidence to suggest that the skep, which is a kind of, if you think of the the the, old, the way we still draw beehives, even though they don't look like that, mm. the kind of the ridged woven yes. basket thing. Yeah, uh, it's called Tudor a skep. Ones. Well, they, they go back further, and I th- oh. I think they come in during Anglo-Saxon times, and I think that they, I think, might have this wrong, that they come in through East Anglia. So there is a little uh, connection. Well, there. that's um, the reason I said Tudors, just because that that recent program, The Witcher, Witchfinder General, okay. with Tim Key in it, and uh, I saw some beautiful traditional beehives in that. In mm. in that, that they were, um, uh, yeah, just like that honeybee one. They're sort of wicker or woven or something. Yes. But are they? Um, and I'd love to do that. But are they? Can you do that anymore? Because they're one use or something. I look. I'm sure you could source one. I mean, most. Um, bees are raised in these kind of um, wooden frames where you can take the 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 frames which contain the, the mm. honeycomb in and out and you can scrape it and all that business mm. and you've got your lovely smart gun your big your big mask and stuff i i think it's i think it'd be a good look for you and i would encourage it and then yeah. you could maybe release some branded um pots of honey yes what would you oh, call that's... it what would we call it graham I mean, you would do some kind of pun, and then remember that you don't—you claim not to like doing puns. Yeah, like Buzz. Well, my dad I, is called Buzz, so okay. straight away I should put them in his garden. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm, when I lose interest, he can take over. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's dive in then to the to kind of the meat of the matter, the honey of the matter. Mm. People in the past writing about bees wanted to find this order. They wanted to find metaphor in that. But problems then arise when the realities of bees and their observation of bees contradict what they believe to be the natural order of things. Let's first just do the sort of biography section then. And the first thing to establish is just this sort of the makeup of a honeybee colony, which I'm going to call hives at some point, though that is technically a, a captive colony. Oh. It's going to slip out. But in terms of the sex that's present within the colony and their roles. So the honeybee queen and there should only be one in a colony at any one time, is a reproductive female. You then have the workers, which are her daughters. They're all female, and they are the ones that go off and they gather nectar and they build honeycombs and they raise the brood, and they're the workers. Mm. You also have the males, which are drones. There's some called drones. 
And these are the reproductive male bees. They don't really do anything apart from, you know, going off and fornicating to their heart's content in 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 the sky. Mm. Um, they do no work in the hive, and you can already start to see how that kind of gender balance doesn't necessarily marry with certain beliefs about how human society should be. They um, <laughs> do it in the sky, then, do they? <laughs> we'll get onto it. We'll get onto it. But they they do. A honeybee queen's life begins the same as any other, just as an egg laid in a cell by the queen that precedes her. And as an egg, this egg is not yet necessarily preordained to be a honeybee queen. It's the same as any other egg in the in the colony. And in that sense, there's no royal lineage within a honeybee colony. So we have a situation where we are elevating a commoner, as it were, to the position of, of monarch, if we are going to kind of draw that parallel. However, the workers choose to raise particular larvae into queen bees, and they do so by feeding them on a uh, exclusive diet of something called royal jelly, which is a secretion from the, from the head, a gland on the head of the honeybee worker. And by being fed this secretion exclusively, as opposed to bee bread, which is a combination of nectar and honey and pollen, which the rest of the larvae get, the honeybee develops into a queen. And the queen pupates, just like a caterpillar would, on its way to becoming a butterfly and metamorphoses from a larva into an adult queen bee. I can see what you're saying. It's exactly like our system. Mm. In many ways, yeah. This is, this is like the sort of anointing with holy oil bit, I guess, except Ooh, they're doing that right I like the start, it. You've drawn a parallel that I couldn't find. Yeah, but they do it right at the beginning rather than the point at which well, they ascend into the kingdom. An argument could be made that there is no natural royal lineage within people. You know, it's it's a pretty watertight argument, in fact, that these are certain people that have been chosen. But my, my point is there is no... All the bees in the hive are the children of the queen, and certain ones are selected for greatness, as it were. Do they know? Do we know why they pick uh, certain ones? I others? think they're the youngest ones at the time they need to replace the previous queen. So at this point, the queen... The previous queen, she's off doing other things or she has died and it's time to replace her. A number of larvae have been raised to become queens and therefore we have a number of queens emerging or nearly emerging within the hive. And you can't have more than one queen in the hive. So at this point, there is a, a struggle, essentially, or a, a problem at hand. And we get a bit of a choice here. So which path should we take? Should we take the path of violence for our queen or should we take the path of peace? Ali, I'll throw to you. <laughs> well, I've I've tended to veer on the hawkish side the further back in time we go. <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll go heads. Okay, uh, chop the heads off. Because I was yeah, I was also thinking of um, sort of Ottomans or something like that. Like when the um, when the ruler dies and then the next one who takes the throne just basically goes around killing all of their siblings. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. So I was sort of imagining that with a bee, that one of them is going to be like, right, I'm in, let's kill all the other ones. So this is the most likely outcome, we think. And what happens is this. If our queen has emerged quickly compared to her, the other royal siblings, which are still pupating, she's going to go around and she's going to sting them all to death in their cells. The queen has a sting. That's one option open to her. Another option is that if the other queens have emerged, then our queen has a sort of battle cry a kind of piping cry, which alerts all her, her rivals to her presence. And they're going to seek each other out and they're going to fight to the death. Elizabeth and Mary style. So 
for battliness, it's a good start in that sense, right? Because our queen is murdering her siblings at give or take the age of 16 days. A good start. Yeah. Do we have it? Yeah, probably the, if we are making that comparison, probably the earliest start in terms of active combat, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had younger monarchs, but they did very little active battlefield work. At Especially female ones. Mm. Good points. Was looking good for the Queen Bee so far. So again, it's sort of like if you see the anointing, uh, if you see the sort of the feeding as the anointing, I guess this is kind of right by conquest. So this is William the Conqueror or Henry the Seventh or something coming in and being like, right, I've won the battle, therefore I'm the king or queen in this case. I would say so. It's people who have an equal claim to, to power, I suppose, mm. fighting it out. If we chose peace, by the way, what might have happened, our queen being the first out, is she might take a, a portion of the swarm and fly off and, and, and form a swarm. I suppose it's kind of, could this even go towards subjectivity maybe in terms of her diplomacy? Because what she might also do is she might, they have a, a toot, a little diplomatic toot sound. And this is a sound which might be replied to by a, a pupating queen, a little quack sound. <laughs> and what this we think is, is it's kind of indication of basically don't come out yet, otherwise we're going to have to sting each other to death. And it delays the emergence of a rival queen, giving our queen a chance to gather a swarm around her and head off and start her own thing. That's amazing. And her next job, you'll be pleased to hear, as, as fans, um, long-term fans of bed romantics, the next job is mating. Before we move so, on to the... Uh, of course. Ding, dinging that bell. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a couple of questions. For, Go on. With the, with the, um, the stinging... The uh, their rivals in in their um, pupae or whatever, or even just yes. in battle. If you know, I see a bee in the garden and um, cautioning children about going too yes. close to it and upsetting it. I'll say we don't want it to sting you because that would hurt you a lot, and then the bee would mm. die because it Always. can only sting once and then it dies. So is that not true, or is it a different kind of sting? Or it does is... the queen get more stings than the others? It is both true and not true. So <laughs> the queen bee. Her sting is not barbed. The rest of the workers have barbed stings. The males have no stings. So if a queen bee stings you, which it almost certainly won't, they're very gentle things, but if a queen bee stings you, it can do so repeatedly, as I understand it. The worker bees have a barbed sting. If they sting other insects, they'll be fine. The problem arises when they sting someone with skin. So Uh yeah, if a worker bee stings you, its sting is going to go in, it's going to catch, and it's going to pull out its entrails, basically. So you are, you're bang right in that sense. So it's not that the bee is sort of like, they're like, right, this is my last moment. I'm going to use my sting for this. It's that they assume they'd be able to sting us, but actually it it goes wrong. I wouldn't like to comment on intent. I was, because <laughs> I think that, am I not right in thinking that a, a bee sting will draw in other bees as well, perhaps? So I think there is a degree of, yeah, dying for the colony going on there in terms of the greater good. But yeah, a honeybee queen, should she want to sting you, would be all right. And that sort of links into the other thing I wanted to ask. When you were saying about if they, they might actually have to have a battle, is it just the rival queen bees fighting, or will they have like other bees supporting them? That get will they have, as well? have rallied other bees to their cause? Mm. Uh, no, it'll be just the, the rival queens fighting. The queens are stinging each other, they're seeing each other off, and it's on with their, it's on with the job, and the job at hand. Do we have a bell to hand, by the way? Uh, I might. Hang on, let me have a dig around. You've I'm not sure had one active. It's been a while since you've dinged one. And that's <laughs> yeah. not because there hasn't been 
scandalous. I've got. Hang on, I've got some keys. Scandal keys. That's pretty good. We could all. I've got some oh, keys. Yeah. I've got a. That's not bad. Got one. Yeah, I've got one. Well, this is okay. well, it's your one here. No, <laughs> well, that'd be why you haven't got it. Um, <laughs> so, well, there may be some cause for scandal here. Yeah. We don't want to judge the queen bee too much on her proclivities, but what's going to happen at this point? She's dealt with all her rivals, and it's mm. time to mate. So she's gathering a retinue around her, taken off into the sky, and she's looking for drones from other colonies, reproductive males. She's luring these in with a scent kind of a, the queen substance, we call it, which is also incidentally the substance that prohibits the development of ovaries in her in her workers. Hmm. So she has this queen substance and it draws in the male drones from downwind and it's on. And what distinguishes the queen bee, we may touch on this earlier, from, from ants, from bumblebees, which are other members of kind of this family, and also I think from the English monarchs and the Scottish monarchs and, and the consorts and all that kind of business, is that she mates in midair. So this is specific to honeybee mating. They they mate in the sky. And are we all happy for me to describe the love making of the honeybee? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Definitely. So the process is that the male engages, as it were, with the queen, and then he relaxes and he becomes quite passive. And the actual transference of sperm is something that's undertaken by the queen. And what she does is she performs a sort of muscular contraction. And this contraction is so powerful, if I can be graphic, it's pulling the sperm from the male into the female mm. and it's um, it's blowing his body apart with an audible snap. Oh, good wow. God. Yeah. Um, his penis rips off. won't be doing off. that again. <laughs> no. So, well, he, he absolutely won't because his penis is then ripped off, he eviscerates himself and, and he dies. What do I do? She might do this with the... Yeah, there you go. She, she might do this with, with a few males and then at the end of the day... Trundle back to the hive with the um, with the endophallus of the male bee trailing behind her, as it were. And this has given her enough sperm to to last her for as long as she's going to be populating a colony. I feel at this point so, I should um... a gentle ding for the bell again. We're anthropomorphizing; they're not people, <laughs> but it's all good, light-hearted fun. Um, it's putting not in a, not a royal comparison, but Ali will provide the name for me. But the um, the femme fatale in Goldeneye. Oh, oh, um, uh, oh no! Don't tell me. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, all I want to say is Ivana hump a lot, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. <laughs> it's some event. It's Goldeneye or Gold Goldeneye? Goldeneye. Say? Yeah, Goldeneye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Zena on the top. Zena on the top. top. Oh, <laughs> God. Of course, who was the Bond girl in the first Bond film? Doctor No, so that is Ursula Andress. But what's the character called? Um, don't, don't, don't. Um, it's something like it's something. It starts. I'll with... give you a clue. It's relevant yeah. to our discussion. Honey, 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 rider, honey, rider. There we go. Anyway, at this at this point of the Queen's life, uh, she's now she's got a reserve of sperm. It's time to start laying eggs. So she's laying fertilised eggs, eggs that she's fertilising with that sperm, into the cells which her workers are constructing. And these eggs, the fertilised ones, will hatch into female worker bees, all of which are sisters. These bees will be the ones that go out and search for flowers and produce honey, the ones that build the honeycomb, uh, the ones that raise the brood and that tend to the queen as well. And in tending to the queen, feeding the queen things, we can call them her court, essentially. They fuss over her 
and they are gathering on their bodies a kind of scent from the queen and this is being distributed throughout the colony as they move around and this scent clues in the rest of the colony on the health of the queen so that you know they know how she's getting on which is going to become relevant a bit later on um they are doing all the work and her sole job at this point is laying eggs And, and when the colony is doing well when it has a good population a stable population and at a time of year when there's ample nectar available it's going to be time for the colony to propagate itself. And what's going to happen there is the queen is going to begin to lay fertilised eggs, but also unfertilised eggs. So these are eggs she's laying that she hasn't fertilised with the sperm that she got from that mating trip earlier on. And these unfertilised eggs are the males. So she's then producing the drones that are going to get sent out to try and find other honeybees to mate with. This is one of those areas where People writing about honeybees have had a really hard time coming to terms with it because they want to see patriarchy essentially reflected in the natural world. But the drone doesn't do anything around the hive. It's it's a burden on the hive of anything because its its sole job is to go and mate. Mm. They have that curious thing where because they're not fertilised, no honeybee male has a father, but they all have grandfathers. So it's that what? odd kind of skipping of generations. <laughs> And from the fertilised eggs, the ones that could become a, a female bee, the workers are going to choose a few to feed the royal jelly and to kind of recommence that cycle. But our queen bee is still doing okay. So she's going to gather a swarm and she's going to head off into the world and leave the next generation of queen bees to fight over and then take over that hive. Again, if we're talking about subjectivity, I think that one nice thing for, for honeybees to enjoy is a bit of democracy because this is what they're going to now do, because they're often this swarm. They've they've settled somewhere on a branch or something, and scout bees are being sent out to search for the, the next nesting site, the next more sort of suitable place. Um, the queen has no kind of say in the matter. And what they're doing is they're coming back, and they are landing on the surface of the swarm, and they're doing one of their little dances. And their dance is communicating the suitability of the place they've found to the people around them, the people, the bees. And these bees might go off and have a look themselves. And what ultimately happens is a consensus of the most suitable site is in some way reached. So we have a democratic process being undertaken wow. of a sort with our honeybees. They then crawl into the middle of the swarm and they make a beeping sound, which is quaint. And this indicates to everyone, we've found where we're going, it's time to go. And the swarm lifts up into the air and forms a kind of cloud. And through this cloud, we have the bees that know where they're going, flying in a in a back and forth line, essentially painting an arrow in the air. No, and, the sw- and the swarm is going to coalesce into a kind of cigar shape. And then off they go and they're off to find their new the new place to live and to continue doing their colony thing. That is incredible. That's just like <laughs> for, um, bombers forming up in the Second World War. Right, take ages, and they sort of have a. You can get uh, uh, forming up planes like the like the bees that are going backwards and forwards that are all massively brightly coloured. So you can have right people joining up from Norfolk and Lincolnshire all over Essex just looking for this one plane that looks like a circus plane, and off they go. <laughs> That's amazing. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's yeah. It's these kind of strange processes of of. It would be wrong to call it democracy. And we're wrong to kind of ascribe it with human intelligence, but it's it's fascinating, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. 
Did you you know that bit in Finding Nemo with the fish that talk as a school of fish and mm. sort of act out what they do? Reminds me of that. Very much so. Yeah, I think that social behaviour in the animal kingdom, my kind of feeling is that there's more of it than we probably realise. Mm. But in, in the insects, you get social behaviour in the the bees, the ants, the wasps, in the aphids, in the cockroaches. It's 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 a busy old time. So there is social behaviour going on at different levels. Is that where we the phrase hive mind comes? Well, yeah, because I think also because there's there's this sense of the the hive and the honeybee colony as a super organism. So there's been a tendency to discuss it in terms of treating the colony as one animal, which has kind of the queen as the reproductive organ and the workers fulfilling the role of, you know, the, the, the provisioning the animal and, uh, and to treat it as this sort of singular mass, which I think is where we get that, that term hive mind mm. implying this kind of this, this working towards a common goal, right? The propagation of the colony. I mean, they're jolly efficient, aren't they, bees? They've got it down after all these years. They they know what they're about. They know precisely what they're about, and it's and it's making honey and having a good time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's no minister without portfolio in the bee community. <laughs> this could go on a few times. The queen could have a have a spell and then swarm and go somewhere new. But what ultimately is going to happen is the queen's going to start to run out of steam, and at this point that pheromone that was being distributed around the hive is weakening. And there is an awareness that our queen is getting ill or getting old or she's starting to lay unfertilised eggs and she's not really doing her job anymore and it's time to replace her. So the workers around her could just stop feeding her and she will trundle off and die somewhere within the hive. They will begin raising a new generation of queen bees and drones and and get on with the matter at hand. Another thing that could happen is a behaviour called balling. And what that would be is the honeybees are targeting the queen bee they need to get rid of, forming a ball of their bodies around her and vibrating and superheating her. And our queen, I'm afraid, could end her life by being cooked to death by her daughters. Like in a super bundle? Yeah, so it's kind of tight. You could could roll it around your hand. It's a tight mass of bees. How hot does it have to get to kill a bee? I don't. I haven't got the answer to that question. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they can, they can, they can buzz. They can vibrate their wings, and they can sting her a bit, maybe, and and see her off, and that could be the end of her. She could also, of course, just die of natural suddenly, in which case they'd need to again get some new queen bees on the go by feeding that royal jelly. But the queen has no say in the process. Quite cruelly, I think it's constitutional. It's it's constant, yeah, precisely. It's for the it's for the good of the colony and beekeepers. If you do decide to take up beekeeping, Ali, mm. um, what they sometimes do to to trigger this supersedure event is they clip off the leg of the queen, and then she can't lay her eggs properly because she can't brace herself over the cells, and so oh. the the workers are going to turn on her and and kill her off. Gosh, and there ends the life of our queen. I'm afraid. Brutal. Well, I mean, there's so many historical comparisons there, isn't there, G-Man? <laughs> Bumping people off when they've lost their usefulness. I mean, Henry VI straight away. Yeah. Putting them to sleep. Yeah. Well, I mean, or cooking them alive by flapping her wings, whatever. Do we actually know? Yeah, it's not It's not a red-hot porker, but it is. Mm. It's, it's a, a hot way to go. 
can now make donations to help offset the running costs of this podcast. If you're enjoying Grubbing the Filth, I want to make a donation, like a benevolent Victorian. You can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash grubbingcast, or you can also write a brief message if you so wish. Any donations are truly appreciated. Thank you. We have a long association with honeybees. Can you think of any ways that, in the literal sense, royals and honeybees overlap? I can imagine uh, the Duchy of Cornwall produce a nice range. <laughs> well, there is that in, in the sense that there is a royal beekeeper, and there is, is there? yeah, there is, and, and long has been, and there is a, a royal production of honey. But, but honey wasn't always the most um, valuable resource that bees produced. Um, the furs, isn't it? But beeswax previously would have been the the done thing that bees produced, um, because it was used to make candles. But these um. candles, in particular, would be the reserve of of the wealthy and of the church as well. Whereas the, the, the poor would have used rush lights, which are reeds dipped in animal fat. But there is a royal reason why in the 16th century, there was a massive drop off in the need for beeswax in England. Can you have think what that might be? Uh, Wales. Did they discover Wales? The no, that comes oil? a bit later. But you oh. are right. That comes later, but it's not the whale yet. Why might they not need so many candles in the fifteenth, sixteenth century? Uh, hang on, I feel like I'm gonna. Well, there's two loads of people die, and there's just not the demand. Are they? I was wondering about the printing press and whether they don't need to be the monks staying up all night uh, making all oh. your books because you're just doing it with your thing in the day. But there are other reasons why you'd need candles. Well, big fans of candles, as we all know, are monasteries. Oh. oh, it all comes back to Henry VIII. Oh, it it does, does, I'm afraid. Big Henry Man. himself. And in the when the dissolution of the monasteries happens, there's suddenly a lot less demand for for candles. Uh, there is a kind of a, a revival during Mary's reign, but there is a the bee the bee industry takes a big hit at that point. Mm. There's also a connection with honeybees in terms of um, warfare. Which I know that you've discussed a little bit. I think I remember oh, wow. Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, I seem to remember that, against the Vikings. That's yeah. exactly right. Use the bees. Yeah. Yeah, in the defending of Chester. Mm. So Chester is being besieged and the defence. Uh, besieged. Besieged. Hey. <laughs> and what ends up happening is they, they first pour boiling beer on the Vikings, which is rough, and then they uh, chuck beehives on them. And there is. Um, I think King Richard also is using bees in his in his crusades and things. And there's evidence of a kind of oh, I've read about this horrific entomological weapon in the in the past, this kind of if you imagine a sort of windmill of rotating arms, and each rotating arm is being used to launch a beehive at the enemy. Actually, we also have Napoleon who took on the, the bee for his symbol. Really? He did. And well, what's Manchester about then? Don't know. Industrious. Yeah, worker bee, isn't it? That's the. Oh, uh, hang on, the air. This is kind of the whole point of, of discussing bees: is that there has long been that sense that you want to find lessons in in the bee world, because people writing in the past, inevitably men, wanted to find their own kind of notion of an ideal society reflected in the bee society. Mistakes are made, and the truth is distorted, and we have all this kind of fuss in the representation of bees. So if we go back to Edward Topsell from the from the start, he misrepresented the the Queen as male because of that want to find male mm. 
male monarchy represented in the natural world. And he wrote, He is elected monarch Caesar, and captain general of the whole swarm, is ever of a tall, personable, and heroical stature. Being twice so high as the rest, his wings shorter, his legs straight, brawny and strong, his gait, pace, and manner of walking is more lofty, stately, and upright of a venerable countenance. Again, it's that, that sense of the perfect monarch, right? Yeah, and can't be female. Precisely. <laughs> How could that be the case? Mm. But we think that maybe the Anglo-Saxons knew, and this is sometime earlier, knew that the, the queen was female because they referred to her as a victor dame or a, a victor dame. So mm. we do have evidence of people kind of misrepresenting and certain writers acknowledging the femaleness of the queen bee, but then using the male pronouns of the queen bee and things. And we have a lot of that ongoing misrepresentation. And as time passes, there's that trend of trying to reconcile scientific reality with the want for socially acceptable metaphor. Mm. In the start of the 1600s, when kind of practical beekeeping texts are starting to be published, we have a man called Charles Butler, and he writes a book called The Feminine Monarchy, dedicated, by the way, to uh, Henrietta Maria, who was consort of... Is it Charles II? Uh, Charles I. Charles I. Oh. And he's prepared to concede to the Queen Bee is female, but he's still of that old school belief that there is kind of divine order to be found in the bees. And he writes that the bees present a most natural and absolute form of government. It's from him, by the way, we learn Elizabeth I's favourite flavouring of mead. Are you a fan of mead, either of you? I can't... I I think I'm I'm su- going to surprise myself, and so I don't <laughs> think I've ever tried it. <laughs> Great mead thoughts. I- I think I think I have had to have have had some at a sort of English heritage mm. day place somewhere. It's dreadful Just, stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I didn't bring any home. No, it's one of those drinks that every few years you think I'll try some mead, and it's it's really ghastly stuff. But it's yeah. she liked it flavored with rosemary, bay leaves, sweet briar, and thyme. If you're Just interested, make it not taste like mead. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Richard Remnant. We're jumping to 1637. He acknowledges the female queen, but he, he qualifies that understanding um, and makes excuses for it, basically. He says that female creatures can have dominion over men when the male sex is wanting or otherwise disabled by natural disability, as here. Nature not having enabled the male to govern, the female doth it. So he's really struggling with that sense that a female individual could have dominion over, over people, but it could happen if there's no man to do the job. Mm. So all the male bees have got a dodgy foot. <laughs> well, all the male bees are, are, are good for nothing, essentially. Mm. So we, we have that, that again. When people write about the male bee, they, they look for excuses. And is it Edward Southern, he, he refers to them as the most strong and lusty. And he reckons they must build the beehive. They don't. But there's, he's looking for excuses. And after the Civil War, that desire to, to have monarchy reaffirmed as this ideal that's reflected in nature comes again. William Mew. He wrote, when I saw God make good his threat and break the reins of government, I observed that this pretty bird, the bee, was true to that government, wherein God and nature had set it to serve. And I'll I'll, I'll finish with Mew. He pioneered the windowed beehive, which is a beehive with a a big window so you can have a look inside. And this is kind of the time when science is making big leaps forward. And I'm very pleased to tell you that Charles II had a good old look at the windowed beehive. Wait. And he looked at, he looked upon it with, quote, great satisfaction. <laughs> and he knew a thing or two about being satisfied. So, But he would have yeah. been confused, of course. We know he'd have been confused because his own beekeeper, Rusden Moses, 
He wrote his own book about bees, where he argues that the queen is very much a king. So, yeah, that's a, a, a brief blast of the misogyny of beekeeping manuals through the ages. Wow. Did they, do you know if, like, when you have Elizabeth as queen, whether there's any sort of brief uh, flourishing in a more realistic writing <laughs> of bees? <laughs> well, it's, it's in that time, I guess, that, that those concessions are being made and there is an acknowledgement of the of the female bee being a kind of a of a, a female figure. I'm not sure. I, I, I'd I like to think there was. I couldn't find any evidence of it. I think that even in her lifetime, in the lifetime of Queen's, there was never, there was always that, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but there was always that qualifying, you know, the, the whole quote. Is it a real quote of, I may have the, the body of a weak and feeble woman? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's always that sense that she is Queen and she rules in spite of it. You know, it's, it's not... Mm. I don't think anyone was ever keen to kind of make an argument that the Queen was the way things should be. Yeah, she's great, but it, normally we wouldn't do this sort of thing. Yeah, she's as good as a king, as opposed to she's equal to, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a, a narrow distinction, I guess. Yeah, we don't want to set a precedent and let the bees get away with this as well. <laughs> no, exactly. We don't want to be Queen. I think I've rambled you know, no. long and hard about the bee there. I've, I've, I've droned on. Um, so what I'd, what I'd like to do now, if you're happy to do so, is to jump into the categories and we can apply some of the things we've learned and see how we feel about ranking the the bee queen. I'm going to take a bit of a back seat here and see what you mm-hmm. guys All right. feel about. Can I ask one more question before we start ranking? Of course you can. Sorry, rating. The, um, the, well, what I've now decided is the uh, holy oil food that they give to the... The royal jelly. The royal jelly, that was it. Where does that come from? How do they get it's their head? Jelly? Their head. I've seen well, my hand up. Top marks. It is <laughs> the head. It is a gland on the head of the worker bee. Um, people are trying to, some people do try and kind of, um, to make it readily available on the mass market. And people do try and kind of encourage humans to have it. There's no real evidence it's of any use to anyone. But yeah, it's not a, it's not a nectar byproduct. It's oh, a, but I mean, it's a marketing person's dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's called royal jelly. It comes from a bee's head. I mean, write your price. Well, honey is bee vomit, if we're going to kind of think of it in that sense. Um, well, they did a very good can't... job of covering that up, didn't they? <laughs> I've never a, heard that before. It's a real, loads of the stuff. It's a real PR victory for the bees. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, right, well, it's, so, also a, sorry. it's also a wonderful short story by Roald Dahl, Royal Jelly. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, brilliant. Which is, isn't that not to spoil the story of... Shall I spoil it? People can see where it's going as soon as it starts. But yeah. that's royal jelly. I recommend it. So, shall we? Shall we try? Shall we try into battliness? Yeah, yeah. So, battliness. <laughs> so, do you do you do that every time? No. I no, yeah. Got them recorded from uh, years was, and years ago. I know, but it was bang on, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I impress myself. I forget to do it normally. So, <laughs> how do you both feel that the queen bee should be rated in terms of her battliness then? Well, our one, we decided that she uh, came to the throne by slaughtering her, her queen bee she rivals, mm-hmm. uh, potentially in single combat or just going around and stabby-stabbying before they got a chance to come out. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's pretty good. And, I mean, like, it's not, I guess it's not really, I guess it's a bit more scandal than battliness, the sort of eviscerating 
the male bees. Right. But yeah, I think maybe we should leave that one for a different factor rather than calling that okay. battliness because I don't feel like that's the main mm. motivation for her action. Mm. But and I guess a bit forgetting... of colonising as well, a bit of colonising, you know, moving okay. out, finding more places, bit of empire, bit of bee empire, as Ali said. Yeah. Well, you've also got, though, uh, she carries with her, like, Excalibur, the ultimate weapon, a non-barbed sting. Good point. And with Good that, point. she can just... Uh, sting with impunity. I think that's pr- it's pretty good. I mean, I guess the question is: Are we going to credit her with the the military capabilities of the hive as a whole, or not? I don't think. I don't think you can credit her. I mean, I think like if it's an agency thing, she doesn't have any because she's re- she is a a constitutional queen, mm. but um. She's also a bee and like destined to be unquestionably <laughs> <laughs> with that. Bee. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to um she's fine doing being in that gilded cage, but mm. being the hardest. But then she's the one that kind of creates the colony, isn't she? In terms of like it's her experiment like she brings them all in and then lays the eggs and everything. So I guess sure. she does have a role in mm. creating her, that. So I guess a better her... one at doing that, thus would deserve a better score. Sure, and her workers do have that stinging capability and they do they do defend the hive, you know, defend the colony. Mm. Um does it does it count against her that she is overthrown? Yeah, that's yeah. that is a negative. Uh I suppose yeah, it depends, doesn't it? On the, it's either a negative or it's it depends maybe on the way that she goes. Like if she's just sort of nudged off and just has to go and after death in the corner, that's quite a sad sort of Richard the mm. Second kind of ending. But, Margaret Bonjou. Yeah, but if she's you know surrounded and kind of goes out in a ball of flame, that's quite <laughs> a quite a good way to go. Well, I mean, it's not a very pleasant way to go, but in terms of no. battliness, you'd say fair play, fighting mm. to okay. the last. Mm. So, what do we reckon then? I I think just on that, Graham, that you have all all of them have to go down fighting. They're Scottish. Bees. Scottish um, bees. <laughs> uh, so, given that you have to go down, it'd just be as you say how she went down. So, I think I think it's 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 definitely an eight. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I we've never had an Excalibur. No, you know, the one weapon. <laughs> yeah, I think an eight. I think maybe they're like the reason why it wouldn't go up higher than eight is because the. I guess the colonising is just kind of finding a... Not that we would want to encourage empire, obviously. Sure. But in terms of battliness, it's just finding a space that think this looks a nice place to lay down our tents, rather than these bees have sure. got a good one, let's kill them and then take it. That would be a bit more full-on yes. top-mark battliness. It's almost running away, in fact. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, seeking, it's seeking a new place to be. It, it, it's... Um, Colonising it in the spirit of uh, there's been no good colonising. Let's skip over. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going for two eights, which gives us a total of sixteen. Is that correct? Ah, oh. yeah, I think so. Which I think is very, very nice. Scandal. Very brief disclaimer because I think it's pertinent. One of the criteria used by Rex Factor is scandal, and within this criteria, sexual promiscuity is discussed. Given that this episode swings back and forth, in and out, 
of anthropomorphizing, I want to make something very clear. There's nothing scandalous about having multiple partners, and to moralise about the sex lives of others is weird and wrong. Here we are discussing a bee as if she were a human monarch, and within that context, promiscuity has been something that has historically painted monarchs as scandalous figures and has affected how they've been written about and understood. I mean, this is where, yeah. you know, exploding male consorts mm. mid-air. Mid-air. Audibly. Yes. <laughs> An audible snap in the air as they're blown apart by a powerful muscular contraction. This is not something we see reflected in the in the, the royal lineage of England, as I understand it. No. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, that's definitely don't get... Um, BBC commentary of that in St Paul's Cathedral <laughs> when uh... Nicholas Mitchell, yeah, <laughs> with uh, a very amplified snap over yeah. Westminster, and there he goes. <laughs> William's legs sail gracefully down to the Thames. <laughs> um, I think you, I, we can't get much higher than this, and I mean. Is it sex? Is there a way we can claim that it's sex with nuns? Who are these men? Are they uh, like little monks, little monkey fella bees? We can have a crack at this. They are. They're not. I mean, they do know. They are outside of the kind of the industrious part of the colony, so they they sort of exist beyond the 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 realm of the everyday, if that makes sense. In the way yeah. that monks are, are, are separate from the yeah, average right. worker can sniff them out a mile <laughs> they are but they exist only to to fornicate so in that sense yep they're they're eunuchs that you sort of is, is that what you do with a eunuch <laughs> yeah your one job <laughs> no i said don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're just um they're yeah the anti-eunuchs they they have they're covered in the stuff um i, I mean that's sex with nuns all over definitely sex with monks Ooh. We'll start. We'll we'll campaign to rename them the drone bee, the anti eunuch. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're we... little monk monk fellows. <laughs> and how do we feel like that that gets our rating then? I think it's good because we've got um, multi. She goes off for a little fly, multiple mm-hmm. partners. Yeah. Um, all Which in again, one we're not shaming anyone. That's fine. No, but for term... your standard sort of how we would view a queen regnant. Um, that would could be considered scandalous behaviour by the monks mm-hmm. who aren't also at flight. Doing the mating, blowing them up, mm-hmm. and then coming back to say uh, see everyone at the colony with, I think as you said, their sort of... Was it their sperms or their penis and their sperms? Kind of... Entrails. Entrails it's, yeah, all it's, coming it's a trailing, behind her. It's a, it's a trailing endophallus, which is what's left of the man. The man. Oh, that's a massive ten right there, isn't it? If you've got a trailing endo phallus and anything, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's and, and you rarely do. But because yeah. <laughs> you've got, I mean, it's it's sex and murder in one act. It is. Yeah. And sort of sanctioned as some royal event with a nun, with a monk over. <laughs> so it's a ten for Mali. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's got to be the ten. Yeah. I can't tell you how pleased that. And, and do you see now why it was, why it was churlish of you to neglect the insect world for so long yeah yeah i mean the characters involved here <laughs> subjectivity would you want to be a subject of this monarch how good a ruler were they in terms of maintaining order justice and culture well i guess you'd with that particular example you definitely want to be a subject rather than a not subject because if you're not subject you might get blown up 
Right. Yes. But it's your lot in life. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'd, I'd, I'd hope that my lot in life wasn't that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so in that sense, I would want to be subject because then I could at least avoid that. Sure. Um, well, I guess, you know, she's providing me with, well, life initially. Yes. And then if she's doing well, then all my friends and everyone else around me is doing well. If, I guess it's, yes. yeah, I guess it's the problem of, do you see her as this beneficent figure that's created all of this and is thus the one to adore and worship? Or do you think, you know, she did good stuff at the start, but since then she's gone a bit Edward the Fourth, and she basically doesn't do any more fighting, doesn't really do anything proactive. She just sits there and eats a lot of food. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for bee society. You know, they have their waggle dance. They are, they have honey. They do a great deal. But can we attribute that to her? Well, I think if you're a bee, you've either got full employment and -hmm. everything's great, or there's time without a queen and you're thinking, oh gosh, what's going to happen? Is that alien with the smoky gun coming along? Or I don't know what's going on. So all the time there is a bee, you'd like to be their subject. So I think I would. I'd like like dancing... it feels like the subjectivity, longevity, longevity and dynasty are kind of all quite mixed together in a way. Because I guess that sure. if, if she's producing the eggs and she's keeping everything going, then everything's good. The colony's doing really well. Whereas a short-lived one who doesn't do an awful lot of that, that's when you get problems and you think, oh dear, this isn't, this isn't very good. I think we need mm. to band together and create a fireball. Mm. Yeah. So it's almost I'm, as if there's some kind of difficulties when we start attributing a rating system of English monarchs to the to the world of the bee. Well, I guess if we assume that I'd like to assume that our our queen bee has done has done a pretty good job. Okay. In that in that field. She's gone on for a while and then she goes out on a great ball of fire. So I, th- I think I think it's okay, but I'm I'm going to limit it because I think that ultimately she spends a lot of time just eating and not really i mean like what does she actually do the whole rest of the time she lays eggs that's that's her business she lays eggs and eats lays eggs and eats that's it it's edward the fourth yeah it is edward the fourth (laughs) once he's come to the throne but equally once that goes and then you've got all the rival queen bees killing each other and trying to find somewhere to live you think well it was better when we had the previous one and if you're a bee that's all you care about Stability, <laughs> stability, and full employment in the hive. So it's a more modest score, we think here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. For me, I think that the majority of the time, fine. Uh, bee life is good; things are coming along nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always a nasty bit at the end. Six. Okay. And from Graham? Yeah, I'm, I was sort of thinking around a six, six and a half as well. I think, yeah, it's good. And we're assuming that R1 is, you know, doing better at that sort of stuff than... Presumably okay. there are some that don't really manage well, it vast, very well. And... The vast majority of, of colonies are going to fail. I mean, it's it's there's going to be a storm or the, the swarm's going to not find a suitable place. Our queen has done well. You know, she's uh-huh. she's had a good, a good run of things. And we assume she's lived a, a decent life. She's propagated a few times. So I would say that our queen is done well. So is that is that six and a... Maybe I'll go up to a seven then, because if 
in context of the series, mm-hmm. we've done lots of other queen bees, and we've you know we barely lasting a couple of weeks or whatever. Then we think, okay, this one's lasted quite a few rounds of moves and yeah. in colonies. I think, yeah, let's give her a seven then. It'll be it'll be a very samey series, wouldn't it? <laughs> Each episode was a different yeah. specific queen bee. Um, <laughs> I'd listen. Longevity. How long did they rule? A queen bee's life is her reign, so it's relatively changeable. They can live. They can live a while. They can live to sort of between five and seven years, the kind of top end of things. Um, that'd be a decent lifespan. But more likely, for the sake of simplicity, we could sort of settle on a more average reign, about two years, I would say. Oh, that's I'm surprised. That's really long time, and that's well, being queen all that time. Yeah, I mean. In terms of, if we're looking at the insect world more broadly, um, the bees belong to a, a group called the Hymenopterans, which is the bees, the sawflies, the wasps, and the ants. The the group otherwise known as the little buggers. Yeah, <laughs> but with the with the little waist. And the 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 ant queens are the longest lived. So I think the record holder is a thirty year old ant queen. Wow. Uh, and ant colonies, of course, that they they don't necessarily move around, so they can they can carry on for for generations upon generations upon generations, um, with, with certain types of ant. So I don't we haven't really brought in this idea that we could be comparing them to other insects. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give her a kind of a two year, two to three year reign to be to, to be kind of. Average and generous at the yeah. same time, I guess, because again, a lot of them will die off a lot sooner than that. So, can so her hive, if um, her, is exactly relative to her reign. There can't be that one hive will only ever have one queen. When she dies, they'll all buzz off somewhere else. They won't all buzz off. So, if you have a hive in your garden, mm. that hive could be there for for decades, I guess. Mm. But the queen, the active queen within the hive, will be changing annually. Okay. I guess it would be useful, like, in the way that we have, like, cat years and dog years. Like, yeah. what are bee years? So, like, what's yeah, two years equivalent to in uh, human terms? Because in literal terms, that's, like, Richard III's reign. Right. So I feel it's quite impressive that a bee could reign as long, if not longer, than Richard yeah, III. Too. Okay. So if we're kind of going to draw that kind of rough comparison, where does that place us in terms of rating? Well, That's I mean, having said that, it. having said that, quite low. <laughs> right, <laughs> two years I mean, isn't I, very long. And that's fair enough. You know, you got like Elizabeth the first going for nearly fifty years and doing a good job. But it's not the lowest. Activity. We've got no uh, other queens who did much worse than two years. Anne, oh no, uh, she was ages. Yes, no, well, she was quite well. We Lady don't Jane have. Gray. I mean, yeah, Richard III is one of the short choice. We don't have many, like. So I guess there are some which would be less than a year, but most okay. probably are a few years at least. Yeah. I, I guess if the context is RB and the monarchs of England, then mm-hmm. we'd have to yeah we'd have to mark it down a bit. Unfortunately. Okay. I'm just uh, just now out of interest. I'm hoping this won't take too long. I'm now loading up my spreadsheet with all of the monarch scores, oh my God, so I can see exactly where. I, do you know what? I'm loading up my spreadsheet. It's exactly the phrase I wanted to hear. Um, so- <laughs> What, now Graham, the podcast is cooking. <laughs> just need to check that you you mute your microphone when you do the incantation before you open it. <laughs> I've just got my um bouncing green icon at the moment. Okay. 
all on tenter hooks. He's outing himself as a Mac man there. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of English monarchs, Scottish monarchs, and consorts uh, combined, two years would be. I've got this wrong around, haven't I? But the there's only twenty one out of. 159. It's not great. With a lower one than that. Mm. So See, that's not... it's it's pretty low down. And that score mm-hmm. in if we were to put them onto this spreadsheet, which is to say a combined which we should. combined one, uh, two years uh, would give a score of 1.75. We rounding up? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, a, okay, it's so a two. two. In fact, it's a two. Yeah, a two so for she a two. Gets a two. Dynasty. How many legitimate surviving children do they leave behind? Now, she has thousands of children. Mm. The question is, do we here read legitimate surviving children as reproductive children? Yeah, the queen, yeah. queen contenders. Yeah, I think well, the queens and the males. Because the males, they're not going to be doing any leading, but they are reproductive. So they are... I sort of feel like we need to go with a sort of inverted Salic law from France, where okay. the they decided um, basically when the English were like, we should be king because um, our mother was the daughter of the king of France and all the other ones are dead. And they said, actually, we've just decided the rules are that women cannot either be the monarch or indeed pass on regality. Right. And I would think with bees that the male ones can't be king bee. No. So mm. I don't think they should count Although I guess, well, I mean, when we do the French, I'm sure we will count daughters uh, as part of the dynasty score. But nevertheless, I, uh, well, I mean, for some of the time, there's nothing to say that they can't pass on right. uh, regality. It's only sort of later on that they decide that. And they're, they're still useful in terms of marriages dynastically, the French king. But I don't know whether you'd say the same with the B men <laughs> the bee men <laughs> the <laughs> whether they have any of that kind of usefulness they're just doing a very specific job so i feel like they're not really regal okay mm. yeah well, I, agree. I like the amount of thought you put into it it's frustrating because i haven't got a clear answer for you here um i do i i, I tend towards agreeing with you we have a few years we, we said two years right so we've got a few cracks at being reproductive and and batches of Reproducts being produced. One thing I've really struggled to find is a good number of how many queen bees would get raised at any one time. But I don't believe it's especially high. And I'm going to speak with a sense of authority that I haven't got and have a crack at saying maybe it's six. Really? I think it's not many per year. I think it's only a bit. I am, again, you say really, I don't know. It's in to some degree. <laughs> I'm making it up, but in but order of that, you know, that sort of region. I was thinking you were going to say it's probably only about six hundred. No, the, the the males would have hundreds. The males would have hundreds, but the queen bees occur in much smaller proportions. Um, and I haven't really got a good answer for you there. So we can either kind of invalidate this one um, for lack of information. I mean, I know that in your in your early consorts. What, what do you do with the, with the consorts when you have a lack of clarity about a certain uh, category? I mean, if we have no information, then uh, we would give a zero. Okay. But 
I mean, okay, like you're saying, you know, you're saying that you've got a sort of a, a maybe a rough guess. I think six is solid, and that would be a good comparable number. Well, maybe if someone's listening, that I mean, <laughs> this this applies to the whole this whole episode where I'm 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 not a man of bees. I'm 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 without hive, but <laughs> I I've had a good crack at it. If you know something that I've said is wrong, and there will be things be things, and if I've got this number wrong, which I have. Do do send an email and let me know, and I'll I'll try and amend it at some point. Given that she can go on for a few years, and that each year she's producing quite a few, this number could be a lot higher, couldn't it? I would in, I would incline towards saying it would be higher than six rather than lower than six. Do they do it all the time, or do they only do it when her scent is telling them that we might need a new bee, queen bee soon? It's an ongoing process at the behest of the workers, and the workers will choose to raise the the next generation of queens at specific times of year and when the hive is of a certain uh, quality and it's and it's provisioned well enough. So it's when there's lots of nectar knocking about, so springtime, I guess. Oh my god! When they're going to want to to get the get the queens out. You can really play with this as an idea, can't you? Sort of look at it on an, uh, uh, like some sort of philosophical economics. Mm. <laughs> Say, oh, it's the, see, the workers need a royal family, and they <laughs> it's. It's fascinating. What well, um, I think I think it wouldn't be unusual for us to give her a really good score here, okay. because for people to come away knowing that a B has a high score on Dynasty seems normal. I would agree with that. Actually, that seems like a, a good compromise, given that our information is limited. So seventeenth best. What's that? Six. Yeah. Yeah. So six would be a score of sixteen. Okay. For us, sixteen is good. He was to join uh, William the Conqueror and uh, Victoria, amongst others. The, the big three, William the Conqueror, the Victoria, Queen Bee. And the Queen Bee, yeah. yeah. Um, and Henry but, uh, to Maria France that you mentioned earlier. Ah, there you go. What a lovely little connection. So this leaves us, we, we, we have our scores, but we have, we have one thing left to do, Graham. Is that right? Well, yeah, and it's not all about the score. Do we know what her total score is? So together, that would be... Oh, um, 29, 49, 51, 67, I think. Not too bad. That is, uh, in Rex Factor terms, that puts her joint 15th with uh, Isabella of Angoulême. Isabella of Angoulême. Who's a John's consort. No, yes, John's consort. 67. It's a good score. I'm happy with it. On behalf of the bee community, I will take it. (laughs) I'd be interested to know if the ants or the termites scored higher, but I'll I'll take it. (laughs) And that, and it it leads us on then to our our last job, right? Well, yeah, because it's not all about the scores. Uh, We have to decide whether or not she has that certain something, that great achievement, the lasting legacy, the star quality that we call Rex Factor. Yeah, does she have the Rex Factor? I mean, yeah, right. I mean, I think you know you've got that. You've got that moment, which I think none of our other monarchs or consorts have. If nothing else, if she achieves nothing else, I just think the exploding bee men in the sky <laughs> is a moment that will stay with me. It has to count for something, right? Yeah, yes. their lives can't be in vain. <laughs> I think culturally as well. The um, mm. she just the impact. The idea of a queen bee. Even the phrase, right? Yeah. Mm. 
it's like when you get your eye in to um uh the origin of phrases like i was just trying to work out where get your eye in came from it's probably an <laughs> archery one there's loads of those or or sailing ones that is everywhere um sure. so i can see her there with the crown on standing aloft with her her excalibur raised up whatever however we say it <laughs> a lot That's yeah one. it's it's she has a lot of cultural heft right? as a, as a notion the queen bee and as a kind of feminist icon as well whether whether that is yeah necessarily rooted again in in the science um is is almost irrelevant at this point right because we are discussing the cultural heft and the lasting legacy mm. of the queen bee and she does have that pedigree you know and we've been kind of trying to rate her i think for me in many ways we've been trying to put ourselves in the in the shoes of uh, her bee community but you know, we've not we've not talked about <laughs> small shoes. We completely skated over earlier when Ali suggested that the main industry in the Tudor times for bees was uh, their fur. <laughs> How many bees you'd have to get <laughs> to make any cord. kind of common? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would be oh, horrific as well, wouldn't it? God, yeah. Well, the monks would be up all night with the candles for that one, trying to uh, <laughs> stitch them together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but we've not uh, really talked much other than what I said about my toast earlier. But you know, we get mm. we get our lovely honey from them, and they do an they awful do. lot of good for the humans, obviously. And uh, our well being oh, as a yeah. species is somewhat dependent on the bees. Although it has to be yeah. said that our our obsession with the the honey bee in particular is sometimes to the detriment of our of our native bees, the bumblebees. So we we shouldn't give the honey bee too much credit uh-huh. there. But yeah, pollination. Oh man, I love it. I, well, this Neither. is the, my whole um, my whole focus for gardening, which mm. is my main hobby, and uh, is to try and make it nice for uh, uh, insects and all yes. the good things that come from that um, stuff. Uh, I think, and that's that's a wonderful thing. It, it's nice to hear you say insects and not again focus just on the bees because we know that the insects generally we need mm. them and we need you know they do such. Good work in pollinating flies. If we had no flies, we'd have no chocolate because that is pollinated exclusively by a kind of midge. Um, it is important, and, and right you know, in a world of plastic grasses and things like that, it's good to hear that we are. You know, a lot of people are, are fighting the insects' corner. Yeah. Oh, we've done the we. You know that no mo may thing. Yes. Um, we have done that, but by accident. We've done no mo t- two years, and it's. <laughs> worked really well, well because course, the bits yeah. it just wears down and the the different little flowers that have, have popped up where a dull lawn was is amazing it's so helpful to the insects and we do need them and they are you know my, my interest in them is not as a for their importance exclusively mm. i think they're interesting i think they're worthwhile as as cultural things and, and as things to talk about and i mm. one of the things i like about rex factor so much is that it's it's taking something that we know a little bit about. Everyone knows a bit about the royals, right? And diving deeper. And I think that that's a great thing to do with insects because everyone knows a bit about them, but we don't know much. Mm. And so I, I don't want to kind of just be all about save the insects, but it's so important. And on behalf of our friends, the bees, and on behalf of all that creep and crawl upon the earth, a big thank you for your for your lack of mowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having said that, I've got a horsefly that I really would like to evict. Pretty stat. <laughs> right. No comment on that one. <laughs> but, we, but we simply have to get back to the matter at hand, which is oh, yes. the which is the ring. We've got a, we've got a yes from Ali. Graham, yeah. how are you feeling about the Queen Bee? 
yeah, I, th- I think she deserves it. I think she's got that star quality. And uh, we have to talk about the legacy, I think. Yeah, I think it's a yes from me. Fantastic. Well, again, on behalf of the Queen Bee, it, it's, it's who regrettably has no voice in the matter, though she does make that piping sound. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's good to hear that she's valued and it's good to kind of correct, if I may be so bold, the elephant in the room, that that absence within your canon oh, yeah. of yep. the insects. Um, yep. But speaking of your canon, it would be really good kind of to conclude things. If people have enjoyed this kind of this process, and it's going to be relatively different to what you do, but similar in some ways, where can people seek out Rex Factor? And what's Rex Factor up to at the moment? Uh, so we are currently reviewing the Queen uh, and Prince Consorts of England. So those are the basically the person who's married uh, to the King. Uh, or Queen Regnant. Mm-hmm. So we've uh, we're currently doing uh, the ones for the Wars of the Roses. So last well last week at the time of recording, we released uh, Anne Neville, who's the yes. Queen Consort of Richard the Third. So our next one that's coming out next week, I think, is uh, Elizabeth of York, who is uh, Henry the Seventh Consort. So the first of the the Tudors. So we're we're nearly on to the Six Wives of Henry the Eighth. Our next research break will be for me to research Catherine of Aragon and. Anne Boleyn will be very exciting. But yeah, you can find us on any any podcasting uh, platform that you use, you know, sort of Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, uh, etc. Just look for Rex Factor and uh, yeah, we'll be there. And you can see us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Rex Factor Pod and like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. What's your favourite bee? My favourite bee as an individual? Yeah. Do you know what? And this is going to mark me out as a bit basic. As someone... You know, I'm in your series. I'm looking forward to Henry the Year. It's 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 a big hitter. It's a popular favorite, but that it's an interesting time, right? And in that mm. sense, I'm going to alienate a lot of people by saying that my favorite bee probably is the honeybee, just because yeah. of just because of its kind of nice. its heft. A lot of people they want to fly the flag for the bumblebees. It's wonderful that they do. Bumblebees are great. They're very they make scruffy nests. They're very endearing. They'd be more suitable for making your bee course, which God willing one mm. day will make. But mm. the, I think for me the honeybee has to has to reign. I would um thank you both so much for for taking the time out to come and chat at length about honeybees, which is you know it's you've got no skin in the game here, so <laughs> I I appreciate you making that time and, and I advise everyone. Again, it's a leap of subject, but go and have a listen to Rex Factor, which is such a wonderful, um, warm and in depth in in the most wonderful way. Look at the monarchs and look at these these. Figures who, you know, I'm, I'm no royalist, but it's it's interesting and it's it's history and it's it, it brings it to life. And I would just, I would heartily recommend it to anyone listening. But both of you, thank Thanks you so much, much again. Oh, for thank you. That's been really I've had a great time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm so really pleased loved to hear it. <laughs> thank you both so much. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Grubbing in the Filth was written and produced by me, Tom Sharp, with music by Will Hunt. Thanks again to Graham Duke and Ali Hood from Rex Factor. You can find Grubbing in the Filth on Twitter at GITF Podcast or on Instagram at Grubbing in the Filth. You can also email grubbinginthefilth at gmail.com.